we now have it on very good standing that there are UFOs. And 2004, the Pentagon released the uh, Navy video and there have been subsequent others since then. So it's very well documented that there are creatures, beings, something, craft that are, are in our world and they do not behave according to the laws of physics as we understand them. They are you know, potentially thousands of years ahead of us technologically. So if anybody could stop the two witnesses, it might be these other aliens. And that's the scenario that I think we have to consider. been listening to this podcast from one through now i mean you, you heard my voice go through the covid and now luke you got the rasp sorry yeah, buddy feeling like scott stapp baby <laughs> gonna start a uh, start a band huh yeah dude with arms wide open <laughs> that could be a, that could be our creed yeah how you feeling man you feeling all right yeah all right all right well the podcast is you guys have been awesome out there i've been getting a lot of emails lately luke a lot of people signing up to support the show it's been cool can't say thanks enough to everyone out there who Likes what we do. The the Telegram chat is is blowing up. The Facebook group is huge. I love it. We've, we've got a cool community here. So yeah. Anyway, today we got Doug Hamp coming on. Doctor Doug. Douglas Hamp. Yeah, he's in. He's written a lot of books. Yeah. Corrupting the image. Corrupting the image two. Corrupting the image three. It just came out. Yeah. He's been writing on the rapture. This is right in our wheelhouse. He's friends with Doctor Judd. Come on, Man. can't get any closer than that's quite than, the endorsement, right? Doctor Love himself. Well, we, we're going to bring on Doug Hamp today, and uh, he's an author, pastor, scholar, and smart guy. And he talks about all the things we've we've talked a lot in depth with Tim Alberino about. It's going to be fun. Yeah, he's a he's a smart guy with the right credentials, and you know, spent a lot of time in in Israel studying Hebrew and and uh, you know. We're going to talk about the end of the end of the end of things, the end of the end of times, which I always find fascinating, um, especially in the context of, of blurry creatures, right? And mm-hmm. and what all that stuff might actually look like. Yeah, and whenever a pastor talks about UFOs and aliens and creatures, I like that guy. I like that guy too. We're uh, we're excited for all the new members that came in. With J- January was a great month for the show, Luke. We had like I don't know. Um, record, I think a record number of people sign up to support the show. And uh, when you sign up, you help us create more content, edit more shows, and do this, you know, more efficiently. And I can't say thanks enough to, to everyone who's signed up for the show. If you want to sign up to support the show, you, uh, what do you get, Luke? You get, we get lots of fun stuff. We got a Telegram now. We got a Facebook group now. We got, we got your own. You get your own private RSS feed. We're doing a another right. member. Yeah, the episodes come directly to your phone. You get, you get extra extra episodes I think Nate and I are putting out about two of these a month or, or so on average um, so it's more blurry creatures it's also a members chat once a month we get together as a community talk about all things blurry and uh, merch is coming merch is, fi- is going to finally get here at some point uh, yeah at some point and when it does there's uh, there'll just be special perks for our members on uh, on discounts and and all that good stuff when it comes to being a part of the uh the blurry community yeah so just go to blurrycreatures.com slash members become a member support the show join in and we even talked about luke 
on the on the members chat throughout. There's some apps where you can watch documentaries together. Like you can have a chat room, and everyone can like log in, and you can actually watch a show on Netflix oh. with all the members. So we're thinking about you know there's some blurry docs out there. People are always like, if you watch this, if you watch that, we could watch it together. It's like a blurry movie. It's like a blurry movie night. Blurry movie night. So we're 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 trying to get more ways and get you involved, and even Doctor Jed, who's friends with Doug Hamp. Yeah. He said, dude, he's he's in. Dr. Judd's now a member. He's not a only member. is not only is he a most returning guest, he is a member. He's, he's, not only is he uh, the president, a but he's also a client. So yeah. Welcome to the hair club for you you should be the president of the hair club, Luke. Dude, just the lettuce. Just lettuce kingdom. Look at all these jokes and eighties and it's all mixed together. It's perfectly it's wonderful. Yep. It's like a sweet lettuce. So anyway, he said he's he said he called me today and said he loves the community. Behind Blurry Creatures. So we can't say thanks enough to all you guys who support the show. Awesome people. Great conversations. If you want to join in and help us do this, blurrycreatures.com slash members. But let's get Doug Hamp on the show. We're a show called Blurry Creatures. Just give you an update on what we do. We talk a lot about creatures, and then we filter it all through the biblical context. So we try to get people who've seen weird stuff some more answers, and that takes us back to Genesis 6 and the Old Testament and all the things you talk about and write about. So we feel like it. All right. Yeah. Awesome. That should work out perfect. (laughs) Yeah. We could just do a quick intro and kind of like the tradition of how we kick off our show. Okay. I'll follow your lead. I've got to leave by 4.20. That's fine. No problem. Out in Colorado, that's dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome to the show, Dr. Douglas Hamp. You're a pastor, scholar, author. You have an MA from Hebrew University in Jerusalem and a PhD in Biblical Studies. And your book, Corrupting the Image, falls right in line with what we talk about all the time on our show and you just released the third edition of that book i did yes so we thought we yeah. we bring you on blurry creatures thanks for coming on the show my pleasure yeah and uh our show starts with this we ask everybody no wrong answer doug what are your thoughts on bigfoot <laughs> bigfoot you- uh i really have not followed bigfoot i'm <laughs> i remain rather skeptical okay but skeptical. you know i'm skeptical if if there were some incredibly compelling evidence then i would look at it but yeah as of now, I'm, I'm skeptical. So. We get into that a little bit on our show. We, we started out there, and then quickly, when you talk about that creature, it gets into all the ancient creatures in the Old Testament. Yeah. And we talk about Genesis 6 a lot, Luke, and uh, things get weird. So, so yeah, so talk to us a little about your the, the third edition of your new book. What are some things, like, we talk a lot about this in the space, ancient history, um, Genesis 6, and, you know, a lot. Of, there's a lot of authors who write about these things. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you feel like you tackle or you're interested in or your particular take on this story that you feel like is sort of left out mm-hmm. or not hit in the way that you think it should be? We're always yeah. trying to find new clues on sort of the corruption of creation. Right. Yeah. And, of course, you know, that's the the, the title of my book, Corrupting the Image, 
Uh, I wrote volume one back in 2011. And, um, you know, when it's funny, when I finished that book, I thought I was like, well, I've done, I got nothing more to say on this. And then, and then, um, you know, some years later, I'm like, actually, there's a lot more to say. And yeah. uh, so in volume two, I had to go back because I was asking the question, why is Satan called the great dragon? We know that he is, but why? And I went back in the ancient literature and I found that, guess what? He was called the ancient, he's called the, the great dragon. I mean, there's just tons of iconography talking about that. There's literally a woman riding a beast in the ancient world, right? And then that beast is the beast that's going to ascend. This beast that was, is not, and is going to ascend out of the abyss, right? Mm -hmm. So that was all in book two. It was mind-blowing kind of stuff. I went back and look at Sumerian, Akkadian, all kinds of stuff. All right, so volume three, you know, the story's then over, right? Volume three is the singularity, superhumans and the second coming of Jesus. Now, the singularity for people that may not know is what transhumanists are talking about. So Ray Kurzweil and others are talking about how there's going to be a time when man and machine or man and technology or man and something are going to combine to make humanity 2.0, right? And so they're predicting, not Christians, but they are predicting that by 2045, this singularity event is going to happen. I think that's a very interesting year. Hmm. And so they really believe and are hoping and are working toward it, uh, very tenaciously working toward it to merge man and machine. That's their goal. So what do we find in scripture, right? Again, going back to Genesis 3.15, God says to Satan, I will cause enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed. All right. So her seed is Messiah. We know that uh, there was no man involved in that conception, right? It was Mary who provided her own gamete. And then it was the Holy Spirit who provided the other gamete. And that's where, of course, where Jesus came from, right? So, so that, that was the conception of Jesus. But then we talk about Satan. I mean, God says, your seed. You're like, wait a second. Satan is a spiritual being. How can he have seed? And so that got me on this, in, this incredible quest to really understand this. And it's now taken me three books to, to really, uh, do I fully understand it? No, but I think I'm getting closer yeah. uh, to, to understand kind of what's coming. So what I'm seeing is that there is going to be uh, a hybridization between Satan and a human. And the evidence is just amazing. The, the genetic engineering capabilities that we have nowadays are quite mind-boggling. Hmm. And, and so this is, this is what I'm seeing. And so the, the Antichrist is not going to be just a, a really smart guy. He's not going to be merely possessed by Satan, but he will actually be the, the incarnation, the avatar of Satan. And this is why Satan is willing, the dragon is willing to give the beast his power throne and his great authority. If anything we know about Satan, he's really selfish. He doesn't like to share. So in order for him to give his power throne and great authority to an individual, this individual has to be exceptional and probably more than exceptional. He probably has to be a hybrid. And that is where all the evidence leads us. And of course we have in Genesis chapter six, we've got this huge case study of that very thing of the sons of God coming down, mating with women, and they had a race of Nephilim. So I think that's going to happen again, as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. I think mm -hmm. we're going to see that. And I think it's all going to start with the 
with the beast, with the Antichrist. But here's the, here's the interesting thing is that somehow he's going to convince the world to take the mark of the beast. And I don't think the mark is, you know, some barcode on your head or something like that. Uh, I don't think it's so you can check out faster at Walmart. I mean, it's already pretty fast, you know. Um, you know, if you want to just walk out with stuff, you can go to Amazon's uh, Go store, right? And you just walk out, right? I mean, so there's no need to to somehow put a mark in you so that you can get through the checkout faster. It doesn't make any sense. And and what I started seeing is it's not going to be a way to simply buy things faster. You will have to get the mark of the beast, which is going to be a genetic upgrade. Yeah. Well, or downgrade, depending on how you look at it. But this is going to be a genetic transformation. And not being able to buy or sell is the penalty for not getting the upgrade. Right. Mm. It's you don't you don't do this so that you can check out faster. You do it because or you you can't check out, you can't buy things because you've refused to go through this transformation. Hmm. And that is where I think all the evidence is leading. And so I, of course, I deal with that. I deal with, you know, why 666, what is the mark? I deal with those, those particular questions, but the really, the question that was driving me is why would the world do this? What is going to be the, the incentive to do this? Cause there always has to be incentive. And that always drives us to the why question. And, you know, a lot of times scripture tells us what, but it doesn't always tell us exactly why. And so you have Mm -hmm. to, you kind of carefully piece things together, look at the forensic evidence, and then try to, you know, put it all together and say, I think I understand the why. Mm -hmm. Um, And and if if we look closely, you know, we can at least make a good case, right? I I won't say that I have the final answer, but I, I think I made a pretty strong case. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says that the world is going to accept a strong delusion because they did not accept the love of the truth. Hmm. So what we see in scripture and revelation, it talks about two witnesses who are coming and they're going to bring a message like what the prophets do, right? A message of, hey, you need to repent. And if you don't, bad things are coming. So these are the finally final two prophets on planet earth before the final judgment, right? Before the final uh, end of this age, of course, God's going to send somebody to say, you need to shape up world. And the world as a whole is going to say, we want nothing to do with these guys. We hate them, but they can't simply dismiss them because they've got superpowers. Remember that they have the power to stop it from raining for three and a half years. If there's no rain on planet earth, that's going to lead to forest fires. That's going to lead to starvation. That's going to lead to drought. I mean, it's going to wreck the economy. This is going to be nasty. They have power to turn the waters to blood. Imagine, right? If you turn the waters to blood, what happens to the fish? They die. This is the messengers have this power? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The, the two witnesses have these powers and they can strike the earth with plagues as often as they desire. And if anybody tries to stop them, somehow fire comes out of their mouth. Maybe it's from the sky. Maybe it's from their mouth. I don't know. But they're gonna they're gonna smoke people <laughs> that try to stop them. Wow. Okay. So you know. So now let's put this in context. Uh, the United States has the greatest military the world has ever seen. Do you think we're not going to try to use our military, our Navy SEALs, and our secret weapons and lasers and all this stuff to try to stop these guys? Right. If if they're coming against the United States and we're making policies and they say, no, you can't do that. 
Well, the United States is not going to be like, oh, well, <laughs> sorry. You know, <laughs> they'll be like, we're taking you out. Right. But scripture says that they, these guys are not defeatable for three and a half years. So that means even the greatest militaries of the world will not be able to stop these two. So the world is, is at this existential crisis moment. What do we do? We have two superhumans. Maybe they're off-worlders. We don't know. We're not sure where they came from, but they're clearly not just your regular humans. Okay. These guys need to be stopped at any cost. And so then what do you do? Well, this is where the whole alien uh, discussion comes into question hmm. because we now have it on very good standing that there, uh, there are UFOs and, um, you know, 2004, the Pentagon released the uh, Navy video and there've been subsequent others since then. Mm -hmm. So it's very well documented that there are creatures, beings, something craft that are, are in our world and they do not behave according to the laws of physics as we understand them. They are, you know, potentially thousands of years ahead of us technologically. Yeah. So if anybody could stop the two witnesses, it might be these other aliens. And that's the scenario that I think we have to consider. So it's kind of like a, if I'm describing it right, so the two, you said the two messengers that come down are going to be messengers of God. Mm -hmm. And then the eight, you think the aliens are going to like basically start Armageddon kind of thing. And by, by the way, pastors that talk about UFOs and aliens, that's awesome. <laughs> Let's go. We need more of this. <laughs> Doug, I was, was going to ask about that. Like, I mean, that's an interesting, I mean, or a crazy scenario to think about that, like all the powers of the earth can't, can't touch these, these two prophets. Uh, what do you hypothesize they potentially are? I mean, you said superhuman, but I mean, I've heard people say it's Enoch and Elijah since they never passed away. You know, they could potentially be re returned. That's a hypothesis, but sure. I never had it really thought or thought or had it presented in the way that where you realize that like whatever our conventional processes for dealing with people that we don't like the U S army, for example, or our seals or special forces that, that, that that's ineffective. And you try to wrap your mind around what that, what kind of person thing being you could have that would be, you know, untouched by like the, you know, the baddest dudes in the planet, essentially. Mm -hmm. How do you hypothesize or, or what, what do you hypothesize that these, creatures are do you, are they also hybrids then do you think or are they no 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 i well so my opinion is that they are moses and elijah okay moses and, if, and elijah. They, if they're not those particular men then they are coming in the spirit of moses and elijah does this have anything yeah. to do like with the transfiguration well yeah ex exactly right i mean those two guys were there at the transfiguration that's pretty interesting we're, we're told point blank that elijah is going to come back so he has to be at least one of them and the very things that they do make us think of Moses and Elijah. Mm -hmm. uh, the ancient rabbis sure, were yeah. very much expecting Moses and Elijah to come back before the, at the coming of the Lord, and, uh, and which they did, right? But he's coming twice. We know that. So I think it's only logical. I think all the evidence shows us that it has to be them. But even if I'm wrong on that, two guys that come in the same spirit, whatever, it, it doesn't make a lot of difference. Well, it's, in, it's interesting though, cause you're right though. They do the, it's like the Exodus miracles, right? It's like the, that's, I hadn't thought of, that's, yeah, that's a fair point. And, and, and think about it when, when Moses was going up against Pharaoh, this was really God versus God. 
right? And God even says in Exodus 12, 12, he says, I will execute judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Mm-hmm. This was God v. God, okay? And, and it's going to be the same thing, right? At the end of the end of, end of time, humanity thinks that they're gods. And of course, Satan is, is really baiting humanity to fall for this trap. And, and then you have two guys that are coming not as gods, right? But they're coming as representatives of the creator. And now think about all the movies that you've ever seen. If you've seen Prometheus, uh, then, you know, these really weird looking guys come to planet Earth. One of them swallows something weird and he begins to disintegrate and he falls into the uh, rivers of the, of the world and his, somehow his DNA becomes us. Okay, that's the, the basic premise of the movie Prometheus. And then, you know, I guess millions of years later, mankind has evolved so far that we're going to go and say hello to our creators. But turns out when we get there, the creators are a bunch of jerks and we don't like them and they're not very nice to us. I, I think that's the basic scenario is that, you know, did somebody create us? Did somebody seed planet Earth with DNA? Sure. Okay, fine. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of scientists, even, um, you know, Francis Crick, co-discoverer of the, of the double helix of DNA, you know, that's what he came to eventually, that it was, well, information has to come from somewhere. So it came from off planet, you know, mm-hmm. so a lot of people are willing to accept that thesis and that, yeah, there could be a, a creator in that sense, but he's not God. He's just a, an advanced being mm. who, who somehow seeded the planet, but it turns out we don't like him now that we've met him. We don't like him. And if he sent these two messenger folks, well, we don't like them either. Right. So, and if he is just an advanced being, then maybe there are other advanced beings. In fact, we know there are because these advanced beings have been hanging out at, on planet earth for quite a long time. And we keep having these encounters where they show us their technological prowess where we can't even touch them and that they just run circles around us. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I think it's the alien versus alien concept. And a lot of people are very comfortable with the whole idea that, you know, aliens don't have to look alien. They could look human. In fact, I just read an article. They're saying, well, quite possibly all the aliens look like humans in in the whole unit. I'm like, well, what do you know? Right? Yeah. I mean, that's convenient, right? Yeah. So I, I I think that when these two guys come, they're going to look completely human, but they will be in the quote unquote alien because they're obviously not from here, right? They're, they don't act like us. They don't have the same weaknesses and limitations as we do. Hmm. And so this is where I think the world is going to interpret them as being hostile aliens, you know, if you're if you're a biblicist, then you should know the truth. But but since people don't have that worldview, they're going to encounter these two mighty beings that they, we don't have a box to put these guys in. And so we're going to call them extraterrestrial, basically. Do you think that they're going to be warning people of the end? Or are they going to be yeah. like, oh, so they're going to be like kind of going around and prophetizing and spreading the gospel, yeah. basically? Yeah, essentially. I mean, we think about it. It says that Babylon's sin has come up before God's face. Right. That expression up before his face is an expression that we see a number of times. Right. We see where in Nineveh, their sin had come up before God's face. Sodom and Gomorrah, their sin came up before God's face. And, and before he sends judgment, he sends a prophet because God does not enjoy destroying people. He wants them to turn from their sins. Hmm. So when the two witnesses come, I mean, it really is the almost the 12th hour. Right. It's, the, you know, 1159 and like two seconds left of, of uh, human history. And so he's going to send these guys to warn the world. 
And that will include include Christians, by the way. I don't want to just say it's only the the people over there, but it he's gonna they're gonna be here to wake us up as well. And uh, and that's where I think people will either fully embrace Jesus at that point, or they're gonna fully reject him, because the message that they will have will be a very clear line in the sand. You guys need to get out of Babylon, right? But you know, hey, I, I'll point the finger at myself, right? that we, you know, we have our, we have our issues. Okay. They're going to be witnesses, right? They're going to witness to the church and we'll be saying, really, this is what it means to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then to though, to those that don't know Christ, I think a lot of them will say, who do you represent a God again? Oh, the, this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, interesting. Tell me more about him. And then it'll be, of course, a lot of it be like, we want nothing to do with this guy right? Or with these two, these two dudes. So they're going to wreak havoc on planet earth. And what's going to be the response when they're finally gone? The world rejoices. They're going to bring the world together in such an incredible way. Because as Ronald Reagan said, he says, I often think that if we had an external threat, some alien threat to planet earth, how quickly we would forget our, our differences, right? He was talking with Mikhail Gorbachev at the time. Mm. And, and I think that's going to be the basic scenario is that we're going to, the world is going to forget, uh, you know, our, our political differences because we now face an existential threat that's coming from out this, the outside of this world. We have to band together to overcome these dudes. And, you know, cause they're telling us to, you know, I can't exactly say exactly what they're going to say, but based on what other prophets have said, basically <laughs> repent. The time is near God is, is coming. He's reclaiming his earth you need to follow the Torah, whatever it may be, they'll say something like that. And the world's like, we're not having it. So what you do is how do I get rid of these guys? Well, we have to fight fire with fire. And the only fire we know about are these other aliens that have been kind of nice to us over the last 70, 80 years. They've kind of been watching over us, you know, checking us out, just keeping everything, you know, uh, so, so, and I, you know, I think the movies, the Eternals that just came out by Marvel. I think that perfectly embodies the whole idea that the Eternals are these guardians who are watching over planet earth and they just have one job. It's just to keep, you know, to keep these other creatures, the deviants, to keep them from wrecking the planet. And, and, you know, there's been all kinds of speculation. Like, why don't the aliens, why don't these UFOs, why don't they make contact with us? You know, we sometimes hear about alien abductions. It's always something dark. It's in a cornfield, you know, but it's never on the White House lawn. Why don't they come and actually present themselves? And I think it, I think the basic idea to kind of use that Eternals motif is that, you know, the, the picture they want to present about themselves is that we're just here watching over you. All right. But if, mm. if there's ever a, a crisis that merits, we will we'll step up. And so this is where I think um, the, where Satan is going to then impart his DNA to the person of his choosing that we know as the, as the beast. And that beast will then become the son of Satan, the son of perdition, right? Yeah. These are all the terms that we see in scripture. And I think if we just took those a little bit more literally, then we would actually say, oh, this is going to be a hybrid being. All right. So, so then the next thing is, so this person now rises up. He has powers that are equal to or even greater than the two witnesses. And he goes and he kills the two witnesses, right? And the world rejoices 
at the fact that he's been able to kill them. And they're going to say, who is able to make war with the beast? Nobody, right? We couldn't defeat these two guys, but then he defeated them. Who's like this guy? He's amazing. He's so powerful. All right. So everyone's happy. They're rejoicing. But then something pretty bad happens, which is the two witnesses come back to life. And you hear a voice that says, come up here. And then they're out of here. Oh, no, this is bad, right? What just happened? We thought we took care of these two guys, but no, they somehow they were able to come back to life. They hightailed it out of here. What do you think they're going to do? Well, I think they're going to go get reinforcements. I think they're going to go back to headquarters. They're going to report, and then they're going to come back with the army that they kept talking about. They're going to come back with their boss that they were talking about. So how do we... What is the world going to do? And this is where Satan is going to have an going to have an offer. Here's what we do: everybody needs to become like the beast. And if we all had the same powers, if we all had these supernatural hybrid powers, then we could then the whole world would be ready to fight against this host that's coming. This army that's coming will be able to fight against them. And this is where he's going to encourage everybody to take the mark of the beast. And it suddenly becomes a matter of worldwide. This is earth security at its finest. And you know what? If you're not willing to get, to join, if you're not willing to be part of this, oh, then you're with the enemies. You are completely a traitor to planet Earth, to humanity. And we don't want traitors in our midst because you might stab me in the back and you need to be taken out. This is Earth security. This is Earth security. feels like there's a lot of narratives right now going on very similar (laughs) more minute but uh you have leading somewhere you have these two two camps you know it's Mm -hmm. clearly we're dividing people on one side or the other and there's a lot of moral arguments if you don't do this Mm -hmm. you don't love people you're not a you're not in our camp we're gonna get rid of you Mm -hmm. and you think you think a lot of that those movies like the eternals and some of these political dialogues are preparation for what you're talking about what do you think conditioning well yeah it, it certainly could be i mean I, I i would be the last person to say that you know every screenwriter is in league with satan like <laughs> yeah. you, know? you can't on this show you get weird <laughs> well i i just wouldn't want to say that because i don't yeah, think it's I know, true I know, I, know, I, know. I i think people operate in their own creativity but it is interesting that we do see kind of a convergence of themes you know whether satan sort of has a a list of top tens that you you know or, or if this is just kind of in the human psyche, I, I can't say mm-hmm. when we start, when you start, um, you know, people have done a lot of analysis of stories, right? And so I forget the guy's name, but he, uh, he, he narrowed it down. It's called the hero's journey, right? And there's basically 17 different steps within a story, right? And pretty much all stories follow that general theme, right? So you have this, this, you got, it's a three act, there's three acts, and act one, you kind of get life is normal. And then there's an introduction of 
a new opportunity, right? And then the, the hero takes the opportunity and you see him start building up in this whole thing. And then you come up to the, the end of act two and then everything falls apart, right? He can't do it. He's lost. He's beaten. Now what? And then in act three, we see this, this opportunity to overcome and then to win. Okay. So the whole idea of the hero, I mean, so that's just on a storytelling level, but let's take it back to the whole hero. And this is what I did in Corrupting Image Volume 2, which is the beast that was, is not, and ascends out of the abyss. Who is that beast, right? That's the big question. Well, I traced it back. All right. Well, we've all heard of, of Hercules, right? Hercules, mm-hmm. Heracles, same guy, right? And he is really this incredible Greek figure who is the ultimate hero. Well, Hercules or Heracles, we... Uh, there was a bilingual inscription that was found in Malta. It was in Phoenician and in Greek. And the name of Heracles in Phoenician was Melkart. So Melkart, okay, so Melkart. So Melkart is the name of the Phoenician god, and we find him in Ezekiel 28, okay? So Ezekiel 28, for maybe those who are not familiar with that, that is a description of Satan right? That is the anointed cherub who covers. And you're like, wait a second. So the, the, this king of Phoenicia, as it says in Ezekiel 28, the king of Phoenicia, Melek Karat, the king of the city, that was an appellation for the god of the underworld. And, and this is where it gets a little bit weird, I guess, a little bit trippy, because it was not only like it wasn't only Satan, it wasn't only Enlil, which is another name for Satan, but it was actually Ninurta. And Ninurta in the ancient world was actually known as the son of Enlil. And Enlil gave his power, throne, and authority to Ninurta. Now, the biblical name for Ninurta is Nimrod. Okay. And Nimrod means let's rebel. Okay. Hmm. So he's the rebel and he is the prototype of the hero, right? He's the prototype of the hero. It's super important to understand that. So all these hero motifs, such as Hercules and others, they're all built on his basic life story. I'm not saying you can't have a story that doesn't involve Nimrod or something bad, of course you certainly can. But when we when we talk about the, the, the this classic idea of this strong kind of demigod, Hercules type figure, that goes back to Ninurta or to Nimrod, right? And then when you get back to Genesis chapter 10, it says that uh, Cush begot Nimrod and he became a mighty hunter. Well, wait a second. Or it says he became a, a mighty one, right? Which in the, in the Hebrew is the word Gibor. In the Greek, it's Gigas. He became a hybrid. So something happened back there. How did he become a hybrid. Mm. And, you know, just looking at some of the clues of the ancient uh, Mesopotamian literature, we find that this is where Satan, Enlil, he begot, he was the father of Ninurta, right? So there's already this uh, genetic connection between the two, right? So all of that is the background to what's coming in the future of the beast that was is not during John's day, and then will ascend out of the abyss. So what, what I'm seeing happening is that the way he's going to return is that Satan will impart his DNA, right? It was the same DNA that went into, into Ninurta. 
he'll impart that DNA into a man of his choosing, hmm. thereby bringing the beast out of the abyss, if you will. And, and so then everyone's going to take of that DNA, which will be the mark of the beast. And that's how everyone is going to be, everyone who takes the mark will become a hybrid, no longer redeemable, but infused with incredible powers, just absolutely superpowers, right? And you'll have a whole race of these people on the earth to try to fight against Jesus when he comes back. And that is the stated goal to fight against Jesus. I, I think it's fascinating, Doug, like that it's, it's, it's the tree of good and evil all over again, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, eat this and <laughs> you can be like a God, just the same idea. That it, it, it's like he, Satan didn't have any, any new tricks necessarily. It's just this whole, here, everybody, you need to eat, to eat of this so you can be, you know, in this case, be upgraded, be, be like a God. It's, it's crazy. It's the ultimate bait and switch, right? They have this, right. He, right. he, he comes as, as a savior for, for mankind, um, from, from the actual savior of mankind, which is, <laughs> which is insanity, yeah. but also not, it's not surprising. Yeah. The narrative is always a pot. It's like a positive thing here. Eat this cake. It's, it's good for you. It's going to turn you in. You know, it's always like, uh, we need to come together and fight against the bad guys. You know, it's exactly. This, yeah. It's, a twisting of the narrative. This yeah. fruit, this fruit is going to make you live yep. longer and have a great life. And it's always, it's always the opposite. It's, it seems yeah. like, it seems like we do live in that opposite world kind of thing. Where like, if they're telling you this is disinformation, you have to go, well, maybe this it's is the truth. Right. That's probably the <laughs> truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could be. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it feels these days. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. But we, we talk a lot about it on our show and we talked a lot of Tim, to Tim Alberino about a lot of these ideas. Mm. He wrote a new book and he talks about transhumanism a lot and UFO disclosure and how the son of Satan, you know, has authority on earth because he's, he is a human, but he's going to be a hybrid and then he's going to be able to, to have, you know, dominion here. And if mm-hmm. he's, and if he, if he's not part human, then he can't fully, you know, take, take over the world and then give that authority to his father, so to speak. It's, 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 mm. the tw- it's the twisted story yeah. that we hear so much so often on this show yep yeah that's something i really deal with a lot in in the book is mm-hmm. the question of authority yeah. right and um it, it's really given me you know pause to think about my own walk with the lord because he's given us authority and sometimes it feels like you know i or we the the body of christ don't always <laughs> operate within that authority mm-hmm. but you know like how did satan take over in the first place it, he didn't arm wrestle god and expect to win Right. God is all powerful. Satan is powerful, but he's not all powerful. So there's a, an infinite chasm between the two. So if you're a created being, you're going up against the all, the almighty. How do you expect to win? There's only one way to do it. And that is to get God on a technicality uh, to get somehow that there's a rule that God said, this is a rule. And because God is who he is, he's just and righteous. He has to keep his word. He can't break the rules or he's no longer worthy, right? He, he, he suddenly has a compromised integrity. And of course, that is inconceivable. So I think Satan is firmly standing on the promises of God like nobody else, right? He's like, hey, if God said it, I believe it, you know? So when God says something, Satan's like, ah, but you said, right? So when Adam and Eve uh, transgressed, then, well, that's that. Right. So he only had to get them to transgress. And then by doing that, the dominion that God gave to them was forfeited. 
and it passed to him. And that's how he was able to claim to Jesus that, hey, all these kingdoms of the world, I'll give them to you because they've been delivered to me. They've been delivered into my hands. And the only way Jesus could get it back, it wasn't through, you know, a bunch of uh, chariots and, and angels and overcoming him and having a big battle. It wasn't that way at all. It was a legal requirement. And that is why Jesus had to go to the cross because of a legality issue, not a strength issue. And, and so through his weakness, he was able to overcome Satan. And that's how he got the keys of death and Hades. But here's what's crazy is that Satan is going to offer the world a covenant with death and Sheol, death and Hades. We see that in Isaiah chapter 28. We see this in Revelation that death and Hades are going to have control over all of mankind. But how do they get that? And this is where I think the apostasy comes in. Because the apostasy, despite what some people would suggest, it's not the rapture. Uh, but the apostasy is actually the break of a covenant relationship. In fact, when you when you got divorced, you were given a biblios apostasium. Okay, so you were given this this book of apostasy, this book of divorce. So the apostasy is some kind of a divorce. There's a relationship, and it's going to that that relationship is going to be broken. What is the broken relationship? Well. Well, it could be a number of things, but I think we see it played out when it says that he who restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. I would argue that that person who is restraining is none other than Michael. We see that in Daniel chapter 12, that Michael, the chief prince who stands watch over your people, at that time he will stand up and then there'll be a time of great tribulation and all the saints are going to be given into the hands of the beast. You're like, wait a second. I thought Michael was standing up. I thought Michael was, I thought he was the one who was watching over your people, Daniel. But then it sounds like he's, sounds like he's not doing his job. And that's what I would argue is what's happening is that Michael's not doing his job because the people that he worked for basically fired him. And that's where we have in Ezekiel or Isaiah chapter 28 it says, woe to you rulers who uh, what do you scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem? For you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol. We are in agreement. Okay, so this is where, where Satan is going to offer some kind of a deal. He probably won't call it the deal with death, <laughs> but, um, but, but that's what it is. And this is where humanity says we have an existential problem. We have to get rid of these two witnesses because they they could destroy planet earth they could destroy humanity the world as we know it and so now we are desperate to get rid of them and this is where satan says i can help you out with that i can get rid of those two guys i just need you to sign my little covenant right here give me your power you know ascribe it to me no we don't have to do it we don't we could do it paperless right just say that that you'll let me handle this and i'll take care of everything and, and so I think the world is going to say, okay, sounds like a good deal. Cause if we don't give it to you, then we're all dead. And they will ascribe their authority probably at a national level to begin with. And then everyone taking the mark is the way to completely seal that so that there's no turning back. And really the world does give, I would, I would dare say that all nations of the world, at least at a national level, all nations of the world are going to give their 
their authority to Satan. Doug, is this is this where they say that they'll beg they'll beg for death and that but it, it won't? Yeah, well, yeah. What I see there is what what they're going to do is they're going to take the mark of the beast. Uh, it's not going to go quite as wonderfully as they planned. And when they realize that there's no escaping, they're, they're going to try to get out of it. But then they can't because they've they've become immortal and there's no way to undo what they've done. Doug, I, it, it kind of reminds we talked about this. I think I talked about this once on our show, but it, it kind of reminds me when you say Adam and Eve, how was he able to give the, you know, they gave themselves over to the beast. And then right after that, they put on animal skins. You know, they become, they sort of look like, you know, a, a sort of a symbol of that beast. They become the beast almost, right? Hmm. They're wearing the animal clothes. And I wonder, you know, wh- what do you think about principalities and powers of, does Satan have control of the whole world? Or does he have certain territories where human beings have given over their government, their city, their state, whatever it is, to Satan? Or does he have limited power? And I like what, and I also like what you said about Sort of, he has to catch God on a technicality. Never really thought about it in that sense, but that's so true. What do you think about all all those ideas of? Because that's hotly debated on our show, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it's definitely it's definitely hard to say exactly how much control he has right now. But so let me just back up for a minute, right? When Jesus came, when when Satan took Jesus up to the high mountain, There was a big difference. It's not to say that everybody on planet Earth was worshiping Satan, because that simply isn't true. However, he did have a legal dominion over the planet, right? And that's why he could make that boast. Jesus never challenged him. In fact, Jesus even said the God of this world. He said that on many times, Hmm. right? And when we go back to the ancient uh, Mesopotamian literature, what we see is that Enlil, Satan, had the tablet of destinies, which gave him uh, authority over the affairs of men, right? So whoever held the tablet of destinies had, you know, could, could decree fates. And, and I would say that what we see in Revelation chapter five, that scroll that is at the father's right hand, John wept because nobody was worthy. Nobody was strong enough, apparently, to open this thing. A mighty angel couldn't open this thing. So it wasn't about strength. It was about worth. It wasn't glorious Jesus coming big and strong as the lion of Judah coming to do this. No, it was, it was that, that slaughtered lamb, right? He was worthy to do it because he redeemed humanity. That's why he could open the scroll. And I would Mm -hmm. say that the scroll is the tablet of destinies that the ancient Mesopotamian world talked about. Mm -hmm. And so, so something categorically changed after the death and resurrection of Jesus, yeah, right? Because the, the world was in the dominion, under the dominion of Satan before that. And after the resurrection, it was no longer under the, the dominion. Didn't mean that everybody became a believer the next day. Of course, it didn't happen, right? But from a legal standpoint, you know, Satan had been judged and there was a ruling against him. That's, that's the basic idea. Okay, so he could no longer operate with, with, the, with the same impunity that he had before. And so he has to get the world to give him that authority again. We're going to see that in Revelation 13. It says that he had, he had authority over every tribe, tongue, and nation. How did he get that authority? Did God be like, okay, I'm going to give you the authority, so go ahead. I don't think that's how it happens. I think if we're talking at the, the highest of highest of levels, then yes, God allows things to happen. But God isn't just giving over 
the authority. You know, God gave the authority to Adam and then Adam forfeited that authority. And so it, by default, it went over to Satan. And that's what I think he has to do again. He has to somehow get the, the ruling authorities of the world to say, yes, we agree to your solution and we will grant you, you know, they may not say it this way, but they're granting their God-given authority. They're granting that to Satan. Is that what the that what the mark Doug? Is that how the is that the is that going to be the seal of the of the covenant? Then is to take the mark. Well, again, I think I think it happens on two levels. You have it on a national level first, and then you have it on an individual level next, right? So I think I think when when it happens on a national level, that is enough to then let him blaspheme God and those who dwell in heaven. And then in the latter part of Revelation thirteen, we then see that he's going to introduce the mark of the beast. And so I would say that that is going to seal the individual under that covenant of death and shell. But it also, from the individual's point of view, why would I want to do this? Well, because there are some really terrible aliens coming, Jesus, okay? <laughs> so, but, you know, this bad alien called Jesus is coming, and he's got a whole bunch of mighty dudes coming with him. And so I need to equip myself to be able to fight against this invading horde that's coming to planet earth, right? So I think that's going to be the psychology of why people are going to take it. So what began as the covenant of death and Sheol will then will be fully, fully manifested, fully played out when people take the mark of the beast. At that point, there's no turning back for people. And this, you know, kind of talking about our whole story motif, like, uh, you know, I, I love I love to look at this whole thing because I'm also writing a, a fictional book about this whole scenario. So uh, it's really it's been great. I mean, writing a fiction book is super hard, but it it forces you to think about the scenarios and like why is this happening and you know what am I going to write on the page or what's this going to look like on the on the on the big screen? You know, like what does this actually look like? Why does Scripture say this and how could that potentially play out? And what is the what's the big story? And it took me a while. It took me years to unpack this whole thing, but I'm glad that I went through the, the difficult times because the story that has emerged is just mind blowing, right? So, so look, all of humanity is going to give the authority to the beast. People are taking the mark, the beast himself, nobody can defeat him. It really looks like it's, uh, it, it looks like the world is lost. It looks like uh, Hitler won. It looks like Sauron has overtaken Middle Earth, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the last hobbits are sinking down into the abyss and it's over. Okay, so now what? That's, that's kind of the big question. How do you overcome this? Well, Jesus has a way, which is seriously cool. We see it, just so you guys know, I think that Gog and Magog are actually the same thing as the Battle of Armageddon, right? So uh, I think Gog is actually uh, the beast, I write about that in the book and I trace his name back to Sumerian uh, and it just means enmity or death. And we've already run into this guy. He's also known as Satan. So hmm. in Ezekiel chapter 30, 38, God says, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw. Right. And I was, I was meditating on this and I was like, wait, so the beast has conquered the whole world. And then he's going to go to Israel. Like, why? Like, what's the point? And then I was like, Oh, because God said he's going to put a hook in his jaw. God is not sleeping here. He is, he's got a plan and he's going to, yes, allow some nasty, terrible things to happen. 
He's not dictating that they happen that way. He's not wanting them to happen that way, but he's allowing them. And with, of course, his incredible foresight, he's like, okay, I'll work that into my plan. And so then he is going to put this hook in the jaw to bring the beast over to Israel. And, and we see that in, in Zechariah. We see it in, of course, Revelation, where we have the Battle of Armageddon. All of this stuff, so that the whole world is going to come to fight against Jesus. Like, it tells us this point blank that the world's coming to fight against Jesus, right? So they know what they're doing. It's not something like, uh, I mean, they may not recognize him as, you know, Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but they're recognizing him as, you know, an advanced being and they don't like him and we've got to fight against him. So all of this is, is going on. So again, how do you get out of this pickle? That's the real question. Well, Jesus gave us a clue. He said to the leadership of Jerusalem, he said, you will not see my face again until you say, Baruch blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's like, wait a second, all those guys are dead, right? So how would they possibly be able to see Jesus face? And how can they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Because they're not anymore. But it's not the individuals we're talking about, but it's the corpus. It's that, that ruling body that we're referring to. And that ruling body, what did that ruling body do? They rejected Jesus, right? The ruling body said, nope, you're not the Messiah. Whereas you had the, the, the lay people, the ordinary people in Jerusalem, by the thousands were accepting Jesus. Right? They were laying down palm branches when he came in uh, on that donkey, and they were saying, Baruch They were acknowledging him as the rightful king. But the leadership said, not going to happen. So the only way to get out of this terrible situation is for the leadership of Jerusalem to basically reconvene, have a new trial, and say, I think we came to the wrong conclusion about Jesus. He's actually the good guy, not the bad guy. And when they finally say, Baruch haba, Adonai, that is when Jesus will get up off his throne and he is going to come down on his horse. He's going to rip open the sky. And that is when the battle of Armageddon begins. And talk about a war. I mean, this thing is going to be crazy, wow. you know, so, but it's going to be, I mean, we're going to have these, these like manticore looking creatures, part horse, part lion. They got wings. They have scorpions tail. Right? Those are going to be 200 million of those things. And then we're going to have all of the, the hybrids and all of their incredible power. I also think that it's not just that each individual hybrid person has amazing powers, but I think that we're going to have a hive mind that will also be be operating as well. And the hive mind will allow them to act as a single organism, just like a beehive does. They'll be able to act as a single organism to, I mean, this thing will be so incredible, right? Each individual has super crazy powers, and then they're all acting together to try to defeat Jesus. So Wow. It, it's a pretty tall order, but Jesus <laughs> is like, that's okay. I got this, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll take care of it. Don't well, worry about it. <laughs> Elie Marzulli came on our show and he said he had a three second vision of that Christ mm. r- ripping open heaven and riding a horse and coming down. So that means we're going to be with him, right? We're going to fight this war technically. Well, you know, that's the, that's the big debate, right? Right. If you're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what LA was saying. Yeah. So I guess, I guess we know where he stands. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, he's he's definitely, I'm ready. He's definitely on that side. Sign me up. I'll fight the scorp- <laughs> I'll fight the scorpion lions. <laughs> lots of lots of blurry creatures in that description. <laughs> yes. It's so cool though, Doug. I, I I love the idea of this courtroom thing. I mean, I think that that's what's really been impressed upon me is that we we do see throughout the Bible these what, what feel like courtroom scenes, right? Even in, you have it in Job, and then you have the divine council and in mm. Psalms, and you have these different to be reminded that. God is perfect and holy, and he set these things up with his rules, and he won't break his own rules, but within his own rules, in his infinite wisdom, he's already written the end for mm. for the accuser, mm-hmm. right? And that's, mm-hmm. I think it's 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 amazing, and I think it's also funny, not funny ha-ha, but like interesting funny that the enemy, it's like he thinks he can win, Mm-hmm. Like you said, on, on some sort of technicality, like a court, I picture a courtroom, like a technicality, like, oh, well, you know, chain of command on that evidence, right? Or whatever it may be. And yep. and thinks that's what's going to, that's how you in, inevitably keep the end from coming, right? If you, on this technicality. And yet, I, I, I just love that picture. I hadn't, we hadn't talked the end in terms of that. And yet, and then the idea that the, the, the I don't know if it's the Sanhedrin or whoever it may be in, in Jerusalem, like the, in you know, in Israel, the ruling body then identifies Jesus as the Messiah. That's just a, I almost got chills when he said, and he, and he stands up, you know, <laughs> yeah. and he, and he oh. tears open the skies and you're like, yeah, that's, that's the God we serve, yeah. uh, you know? Yeah. When you think about it, there's only one weapon that Satan really has against God. And that's a legal battle, right? This is a battle of lawyers. This isn't a battle of, of uh, soldiers because obviously Jesus is going to win, right? He's got, you know, he is an army his army is is one third bigger, right, or, or whatever, half bigger, twice as big, twice as large, yeah. twice as large as as Satan's army, right? So he's numerically greater. He is all powerful, <laughs> right? So again, Satan's not stupid, right? He's he's not thinking though. I've got better army than you guys. I have bigger weapons. No, he doesn't. So it, you can't win that way. He cannot win that way. So the only weapon that he has is a legal right to having dominion over the planet. And because God cannot lie, God can't just snap his fingers and make everything magically turn around. People, you know, sometimes ask, well, if Jesus had to die on the cross, why couldn't he just do it like right after Adam and Eve sinned? (laughs) It didn't work that way because it wasn't merely that they sinned, but there's another player, the bad guy who is Satan. And, you know, though you can't exactly blame Satan for Adam and Eve's actions because they acted of the, out of their own free will. But he was certainly there and he understood the implications of if they do this, then that's going to happen. Right. And so then the world fell into his hands. And again, that's what the ancient literature tells us. In fact, it, there, there was this thing called the Akitu festival. I discovered this in writing Crypt Image volume two. Again, blew my mind. In the Akitu festival, the, the human king would uh, represent Marduk or Ninurta or somebody like that. And they would they would have to take the good news. And that was the term that was used there. Surat Salmi uh, was the term that was being used. They would take the good news to Enlil, who is Satan, that, that Anu, the creator god, had been slain. And I was like, wow, this was a this was a you know a national festival that they would celebrate that the creator God had been killed. And what was conferred by that was Anu. So he's the creator God, the Anu ship that like his, his, his divine rule was then would then pass to Enlil. 
And then Enlil could give the Enlil ship to whoever he wanted, right? So they weren't even they weren't even apologetic about this. So, you know, Enlil wasn't like, hey, I made the, the heavens and the earth. That's what I did. He's like, no, I didn't make it. I took it from that guy, right? And I'm proud of it. And it was almost like they were giving him the middle finger as they were doing this. I mean, that's essentially what they were doing is giving him the middle finger, you know, F you, <laughs> we hate you. We got this. You're nothing. You made the heavens and earth. Big deal. You know, in fact, they talked about how Enlil usurped the authority from, yeah. from Anu. And again, boastful about this, celebratory about this whole thing. Right. So that's what we see in the ancient world. And that's what Jesus boasts, or that's what Satan boasted to Jesus. Hey, just bow down. You know, I already got the heavens and earth or not the heavens, but, you know, all these kingdoms, as it were, all these kingdoms, they're mine. They belong to me. How did I get them? They were delivered to me. They were given to me. Hmm. God didn't give him those things. God gave it to Adam and Eve. But through his, you know, shenanigans and trickery and all this different stuff, he he acquired it and he wasn't going to let go. Oh, no. So Jesus had to literally die to get that out of his hands. And then he rose again. He conquered death. And so now we are actually free, but we keep thinking that Satan's ways are really awesome. And so he keeps enticing us back. Hey, check out Babylon. Isn't it amazing? Oh yeah, it really is. You know, you know, come on back. You know, it's great. It's great here. And so when we relinquish our authority and we give it back to him, then, then he has some kind of a legal standing over us. And so I, what I think is going to happen is uh, when he comes up with the, the covenant of death and shale, he's taking it to an yet another level, uh, to a level where it now becomes kind of a binding agreement, if you will, between him and the nations of the world. And again, they do this because the two witnesses are causing havoc. They don't know how to get rid of them. And Satan has, he, he shows up as a some kind of an alien or something like that. And he says, you know, yeah, I can take care of those guys, but we all need to come together. You guys need to confer your power to me so that I can then go and defeat these two witnesses. And the world's going to say, well, that makes sense. Cause if we don't, we're dead. So we have to do this thing. That's hmm. it's interesting to me too, Doug, that, that the promise of Jesus is this is eternal life. And then the promise of the enemy is eternal death. You have this, this, I mean, really it is, it's this covenant of, of you say of, of Sheol and, and death. It's like, it is exactly the antithesis of the promise of Jesus. And yet, and, and people walk willingly into the, it's, it's, I mean, I'm all, I guess I'm just always impressed upon how the enemy just, it, it, it's always an antithesis. It's always the antithesis of the gospels. It, it's always this twisting opposite of, of what is true and what is good and what, it, you know, and, and the gifts of God. And, and, and here you're talking about this, covenant instead of it being a covenant of eternal life it is it's truly in a covenant of, of eternal death mm-hmm. it's like a, the restoration back to the family freedom in the family like you're back in heirship of the throne and christ offers you like true freedom and eternal life you know it's not this satan's this slavery you're you're a slave to him you're in bondage you're in chains now he, like like you said the hive mind it's almost like he's going to control all human beings and it's going to get really tricky i mean what's so you think, I mean, some, sometimes our show gets kind of into this end time stuff and we, I don't want to end on like a too, like a more of a positive note as much as we can. Do you think when, how many people do you think are really going to understand when the, when let's say Moses and Elijah come back and start to tell people the gospel, 
and really explain this to people because I think it's going to be hard to deny at that point because here you have these angelic beings that we've been seeing on movies for decades and we're in this you know materialistic world none of this stuff exists it's not real and then boom this stuff shows up I mean that's gonna be a pretty powerful moment for humanity where you know we've heard about these things and even Christians who believe probably you know only a fraction of what's in their Bible in terms of angelic spiritual beings are going to see this stuff Mm-hmm. And and you think this is coming soon? And and what do you what how do how do you envision that goes down? Are you do you think the world just just begins to get saved in, in droves? I do. I I think that we're going to have the quite literally the, the the biggest revival the world has ever seen. Hmm. But I think there's going to be a huge you know line in the sand that you know for some people I would dare say that there will be quote unquote Christians who will see them and say think they don't represent me right they you know, they don't, they don't represent the God that I serve. Hmm. And, and I think they will be driven away into some, you know, apostate kind of Christianity because they already are. Um, And there, and there'll be others that will begin to explore this like never before, Hmm. you know, but here's what we know, unfortunately, is that during the tribulation, the, the, the saints will be given the holy ones, those who are following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they will be given into the hands of the saints or into the hands of, of the, the beast. So, you know, a lot of people are going to die, unfortunately, as a result of this, but they'll die here, but they definitely get eternal life there, which is certainly cool. But, you know, as far as how people interpret them, I think a lot of the conditioning that's been going on, a lot of, you know, the movies, the books, the, you know, just the whole UFO MUFON type stuff, where people have a worldview about these. And I think when absolutely finally confronted by two very powerful beings, then people have to decide, how do I interpret these things? Like, first of all, again, I don't have a box to put them in, but now they're here. So what are they, right? Are are they like gods, like, like, like angels from, from God's side? Is there a God or is it all evolution? And yeah, they're obviously superior beings to us, but maybe they just evolved more, right? And maybe the this creator that they claim to serve, maybe he's just super evolved, you know? And hey, we've got amazing technology and these UFOs and aliens that have been hanging out on planet Earth for such a long time, they've got very similar kind of stuff. So maybe we could team up with them and we could overcome them and defeat them, right? And so I think I think that's going to be the majority of the world's narrative that they will say, well, okay, yeah, so they are powerful, right? But just like in Prometheus, you know, very they're advanced beings. Well, we are too now. We have amazing technology. And if these these quote unquote good aliens are are here to help us, then we can evolve even faster. And we can get to that place where we need to be to overcome them. It's like it's like Mount Hermon all over again, too, right? It's this trade of technology. Yes, that's right. It's just like we'll trade trade you for for here's your technology. Like it's this whole right. Yep. Which is, again, it's yeah, wild. Yeah. It's all, it's all like it's the beginning <laughs> yeah. is the end, and the end is the beginning. Right? Yeah. I was just thinking that Luke, like, yeah. Basically, the the hybrid situation of the you know the golden age. You know, you had these nephilim creatures running around that were hybrids. Yep. I mean, the, and then you talked about Moses and Elijah and the transfiguration, and then they're going to come back in the end. It's like you see it 
over and over again, right, Luke? Yeah. It's just this constant repeating of themes and narratives. Yeah. Well, in the Twilight Zone, they had a, a time where um, it was called To Serve Humans, and uh, aliens came to planet Earth, and they had a book they were carrying around, and some linguists were finally were able to interpret the uh, the title. The title said To Serve Humans, right? And so they're like, wow, these aliens have come to uh, help us out, to do, you know, be our benefactors and to really bless us and all this different stuff. And, and so as they were recruiting people to get on the spaceship, to go back to, to the mother planet, one of the two linguists that were working together, she says, John, don't get on, the, don't get on the ship. Don't get on the ship. And he's walking up the gangplank and she says, I interpreted the rest of it. <laughs> it's a cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To serve you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So, you know, the, the world thinks that, that the alien encounters that we've had, the UFOs and whatnot, that these are, you know, bene- these are, you know, good uh, benevolent beings that are here to help us. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's what Satan's shtick is going to be. We're here to help you, right? Mm-hmm. And, oh, okay, yeah, we're here to serve you. Okay, yeah. Right. Yeah, but for lunch, right? We're here to serve you for lunch. That's that's the party he he left off. Well, do you think like what do you think the UFOs? uh, I know you don't have a lot of time left, but what do you think? I mean, it it sounds like we've talked a lot about it. Where it sounds like they're in conflict a lot of times. Are they all angels? Are they? Is this how they move around? We've heard some interesting theories on our show, and this is how they this is how they get from point A to point B. They're not, they can't just appear and disappear places. They have to, tr- they're like humans. They have to trans transport somehow. They have to move from one yeah. end of the earth to the other. Yeah, I, I would say there is a, you know, they can tra- travel incredibly fast, but it's not instantaneous, yeah. right? So they, they have to still travel. There's there's time involved in their, their travel. And uh, George Knapp is a, a guy that I quote in the book, and he's a investigative reporter. And he talks about how, these these beings are not from a distant galaxy but they exist and they've existed here for eons and they exist behind a thin dimensional psychical dimensional membrane is what he put what he calls it and when i I heard him say that i'm like that's what the bible talks about the bible talks about this veil between heaven and earth right and we see the veil it sometimes opens ezekiel was sitting by the river hebar with the captives of judah and he saw the heavens open uh, at the baptism of Jesus, the heavens were opened. At the stoning of Stephen, he saw the heavens open. Uh, in John in Revelation, he sees the heavens open. So that's the veil that scripture talks about. And even talks about in Isaiah 25, he says that he will uh, take away the veil that is above all nations. Right? He's gonna take that away. And when that goes away, that's the same thing as the heavens receding like a scroll. It's this exact same thing. The heavens receding like a scroll is the veil going away and it's at that point when those on the other side jesus and the angels become visible in our dimension come visible in our dimension
And so the beings that exist on that other side, which is about with both the good angels and the bad angels, you know, I think the bad angels have far more limitations than the good angels do. The, the bad angels can only appear, can only manifest under certain conditions. They need blood, right? There has to be some kind of letting of blood, innocent blood, the more innocent, the better. And, um, and so I think you could, you could look at all the wars, you could look at abortions, you could look at all different, so many different things as to how that blood, that, that payment is, you know, how it's being paid because there's a cost for them to be able to manifest. Hmm. And I, so I think, I think we see that, um, but yeah, at some point they're going to be able to, to manifest, uh, at a greater level. And then it says that they're going to be kicked out of heaven. So they're not going to be able to hide behind the veil any longer, but they will then only be on this side of the veil. And that's when it really gets ugly. That's when we have the great tribulation beginning is when Satan and his fallen angels are cast out of that other side and only can exist on this side. Do you think, and do you think one of my last questions, do you think that like the high places, the mountains and stuff, they're trying to, it's not just ceremonial. There's actually like maybe places they can try to get through the veil. Is that what they're trying to do? Because we've talked about that a lot on our show. Like some people just say, oh yeah, humans go to high places because they just think they're getting closer to heaven. And I'm, and I'm, I'm of the thought of like, no, there's something on that mountain. It's not, it's not just them climbing up a mountain. I don't know. There, there's something to it. You know, it's definitely hard to say, you know, if you get, get to a certain altitude, can you then, you know, <laughs> if you get to 30,000 feet, you know, yeah. if you run into the, the door, I, you know, I don't know, of course, but there seems to be something about that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just hard to put our finger on what it, what it is. Well, if you get up to Pike's Peak, let us know, Doug. Let us know what's up there. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Right. We, we hear a lot of weird, weird stories on our show of like creatures and high places, portals, things coming out of people disappearing yep. in mountains, actually, just walking right. Hmm. Who knows? Wow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's some definitely weird stuff that is happening in our world. <laughs> We're here for um, it. We're here for yeah. all of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, us. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Doug, thanks yeah. so much. I know it's I know it's getting oh. to that time for you. Um, yeah. Thank tell you her, for having me. Yeah, yeah. Tell tell our listeners where they can Get your books and and get a, connect with you and find okay. you. Yeah. So if you want uh, a paper version of my books, you can go to Amazon.com. Uh, just put in my name, Doug Hamp, and I have a, an author page there. And so, Corrupting the Image Three uh, is out on Kindle. Give us a few more days, and we'll have the paperback ready. We're just preparing that right now. Um, but you can get them there, or you can go to DouglasHamp.com forward slash store and i have all of my my digital books there so if you want to if you want to get it there in a digital format if you don't you hate amazon i understand uh, so you can do that <laughs> yeah but if you want the, if you want the paper you got to go to amazon so. right. <laughs> yeah well, awesome yeah, yeah. Well, well, thanks doug, doug. Yeah. thanks so much totally appreciate your time thank you it was really a pleasure being here right. yeah we'll have we'll have to bring you back on and get into some of these other topics it's like, love it's like there's so many rabbit holes like we're oh, talking no. about. Look, I just want to talk about Nimrod and Hercules. We have to do, oh, just yeah. unwrap yeah. that some more one of these well, times. Well, we can do Corrupting Image Volume 2 one of these days. So okay. Lots of gems in there. Yeah. There's some great stuff. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, thanks, Doug. Have Thank a good you. day and appreciate yeah. it. You so much too. for the time today. Okay. Yep. Take care. See you,